The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Lord, where else can we go? You have the words of life. That's what Peter said when you taught something very hard and many people left. Where else can we go, though? You have life. And you teach it to us. And our request of you now, Father, is that you would commission your Spirit to work here among us and open up the Word the word of life, and show us Christ in it. All of your word in one way or another points us to him. Help us to see him this morning. In the midst of a, of a situation that developed a long time ago, help us to see him for us today. Would you give clarity to my words and clarity to our thinking about them? Give us power to listen and power to understand. Give us an openness and a, and a submission to it that we might be changed. Lord, this is your word. We are your people. It is your world. You are building your kingdom by your power. And so I ask you to be the proclaimer this morning, to be the preacher to do your work here among us for your honor. Lord, help us this morning, I pray. Open up your word, conform us to your image, and show us Christ. And it is in his name that I pray. Amen. We turn our attention this morning to the end of 1 Samuel chapter 2, where we will see God preparing to defend his honor against the wicked sons of the priest Eli. We've been in this chapter for the last couple of weeks, and we have seen it develop for us the character of Eli's sons, worthless sons, the text calls them, who did not know the Lord. We've seen that developed for us as we watched them use their power to fatten themselves by robbing God of honor and robbing the people of that which was theirs, robbing the people of their dignity even. And we've seen that as well as God's answer to the trouble. He's been alluding to it and showing us how he's going to respond to that now. And it was trouble. It was a great offense to God. It was an affliction to the people. Verse 17 describes it as very great sin in the eyes of the Lord. Because they held the Lord's offerings, therefore the Lord, in contempt. So God's going to deal with that by removing these priests, by striking them down. We've seen that for a couple of weeks now, and that theme is going to continue in the last half of the chapter, but in, with a slightly different emphasis. It's going to be presented to us a little differently. Today's passage is going to strike the note of honor, of honoring the Lord. And so we'll have opportunity this morning to consider honor along with the idea of priest, of a, of a new priest. So, and that connection, honor and priest, is what's going to help us today. It's going to connect to our lives today. So we're going to be exploring. So let me read the passage. I'm going to read beginning in verse 27 through the end of the chapter. This is from 1 Samuel chapter 2. 
And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus the Lord has said, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever, But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house, that in distress you will look with envious eyes on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread, and shall say, Please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. The word of the Lord. A sad passage, a sobering passage. It opens with an unnamed man of God that is a prophet. We don't know who it is, but he comes to Eli with a message. He comes to Eli, the head of the house. Even though Hophni and Phinehas, his two sons, have been the primary actors, he, he makes very clear that Eli is guilty also because though they have stolen the things, Eli has eaten and has fattened himself and has tolerated it for decades now. And so he has a message for Eli for all of his house, a pronouncement against him. But he starts by reviewing the grace of God. Verse 27, with a question that's really a statement. The Lord says, let's recall. I revealed myself to your father, to Aaron. To your father and his house and your house after him. And I made myself known back when you were in slavery in Egypt. And out of all the tribes of Israel, I selected him and you after him. I selected him to be, to be my priest. And look at the privilege. This is the grace of God being recounted. I chose him to draw near to me, to come into my presence at my altar. To be the one who brings up the sacrifice. To be the one who offers up the, the pleasing aroma of incense to me. A delight. To be the one who wears the ephod. We've talked about the ephod before. That was a, a special item of clothing. Long story short. It had the names of Israel on it, so he was representing Israel as he comes into the presence of God, carrying the people on his shoulders, so to speak. 
I chose Aaron and you to do that. What a privilege. And I gave you my offerings. He calls them my offerings. He rece- God receives the best, and I gave that to you. Tremendous grace. This is the grace of God, a tremendous privilege, which makes verse 29 all the more devastating. I did all that, right? Why, then, do you scorn me? Why do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded, in other words, scorning me and my word, and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of the offering? He's asking a rhetorical question. He doesn't want an answer. This, this, is, this is a text of judgment. It's making clear the problem. They stole the offerings. They ate them. Eli ate them. And he says, you flatly reject me. You scorn me. You treat me with contempt as you honor them above me. It is meant to be God and everything else, and you explicitly, and everybody knows that you do this, which is to dishonor me. To scorn me. And in light of that, done, says the Lord. Verse 30, therefore, what follows is the verdict. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house, the house of your father, would go in and out, in and out before me forever, would serve as priests, but no way. Far be it from me. That's not going to happen. Now, let's, let's pause there. Is, is God breaking a promise? No. We need to consider the promises that God makes. And to the Old Covenant, God did not ever promise that every single son of Aaron would be high priest any more than he later promised that every single son of David would be king. If you just think about it, physically it's impossible that that would be the case. He never promised that every single one, when he makes a promise to a house, think of a, a, a family line that is, think of a family tree with many different branches that break out over time. He chose Aaron and his house, his family after him. And what he's saying is that I have worked that. I have chosen sons and their sons and their sons and their sons and has worked down your family tree, Eli, no more. God can fulfill his promises in in a great variety of ways. Think, think ahead for a second to John the Baptist, where John the Baptist says, do not say that we have Abraham as our father, as if that secures you. I tell you, God can raise up children for Abraham from these rocks. He's going to keep his promise in a very creative way. Coming back to here, he's going to keep his promise by working back up the line and switching branches. Decades later, under King Solomon, Eli's house will finally be finished, and he will appoint another son of Aaron as priest. He's keeping his promise. He's just changing Eli's part in it. He's going to, in fact, work to cripple his house, to, to break his strength. He's going to cut the top off of it, so to speak. There never will be an old man in your house again. I'm going to kill them all in the prime of their life. They're all going to die violently. The first ones, these two, on the same day. Hophni and Phineas. He'll spare one or two here and there just to grieve. Just to stand there and look at the disaster that has 
groan all around them as their house is torn down. The, the mighty are broken. The rich and full are turned to begging for bread like Hannah prayed. And the lowly are lifted up. They're going to look out and see the prosperity of all the people whom they robbed and grieve over that until finally God finishes them off completely. That's heavy. Eli's house is done. For, middle of verse 30 again, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Despised and treated with contempt by Eli and his sons, he will return that to them. Tearing them away from the priesthood and casting them into poverty and death. But verse 35, that's not the end of the story. He will raise up for himself a faithful priest with a sure house. And that's the same word, faithful and sure. Here is a priest in a house who have not been faithful and they will be done with. They will not be sure and steady. They have not been faithful. I'm going to raise up another priest who will be faithful and have, will have a house after him that is itself faithful and sure, established, strong, and lasting. That's what he's going to do. He's determined. He will accomplish it. He will fix the problem and secure for himself a priest and a people who honor him. That's the passage. Similar in some ways to what we have seen over the last couple of weeks. It's really kind of a development of the same theme, but it's expressed a little differently here as we, as we finally get the main problem very clearly and the solution to it very clearly. Let me put it like this in a sentence. God will secure his honor through the ministry of a new high priest and his house. God will secure his honor through the ministry of a new high priest and his house. His honor was was thrown thrown aside by that high priest in his house, so he's going to remove that and set up a new high priest in a house so as to secure his honor. That's what God is saying through this prophet in this passage. So we're going to consider that by just breaking it in half to make two points. Begin with the first observation. First half. The Lord will secure his honor among his people. The Lord will secure his honor among the people who, who are the community of God. So I'm not talking here about everybody out there in the world. We're talking about those who claim to be in relationship with God, who in some way identify themselves, we are his, the covenant community, those in relationship to him, in that group of people, God is highly concerned to and will in fact secure his honor. He's announcing a judgment here which is devastating. It's total. It's going to tear them away from their livelihood and, and strike them dead. This is a catastrophic blow to Eli's house. And twice he tells us explicitly why. The problem is not one of theft, though they were thieves. 
The problem is not one of, of a haughty attitude of carrying themselves as if they are superior to all the people, though they did that too. The problem is not one of abusing women, though they did that too. It's very clear twice what the problem is. Verse 29, Eli scorned the sacrifices honoring his own sons in first place. In verse 30, those who honor me, I will honor. And he introduces that familiar phrase with the word for. Why am I going to do this? For those who honor me, I will honor, but those who don't, I won't. There's the reason. It's about honor. When God is scorned and despised, particularly among his people, he will respond. Now, not there in the world, not yet. We're talking about in here. Verses 27 and 28 are are underlining the fact that he's addressing a, a people who are blessed. He's talking to the priests in this case, and people like them who've had so much privilege and experienced so much of his grace. People like that, people like us, who've tasted and seen so much of God's goodness, amongst the people of God who have had interaction with God and have seen His goodness, amongst them, in particular, He is concerned to defend His honor. He will do this because it is right. And He is righteous, always doing what is right. There is no other in all existence that is due honor like this God. Think of Him, men and women. Think of Him. This is God. The One who is eternally existing who thought into existence all that is, there is no other that is due honor, that is due respect, that is due allegiance, that is due obedience. No other who should be so central to everything that we think about and everything that we give thanks for and to. This one should be in the middle of everything that we are because of who he is. We treat him so lightly, but he is God. We would not exist apart from him. We would not continue to exist apart from his moment-by-moment intervention in our lives. He is God. More than though just thinking of who he is, we should also consider what it is that he does. He has created and He sustains, lavishing on us grace upon grace. Consider all of the world, non-believers as well as believers. The rain that fell last night and yesterday fell on every single person in the valley. It watered all of our lawns, all of our vegetables. His blessing and His grace falls on believer and non-believer alike. He sustains life. And He sustains it by the vegetables 
they taste good. Think of His grace in how He provides pleasing sustenance. He could just provide fuel that was bland and tasteless, but He provides a tongue that tastes and food that has flavor. What kindness to us. And a world that has beauty. Rocks do not perceive the beauty. We do. We have receptors of the beauty also. He has given kindness upon kindness. This world is pleasant and beautiful, though it is marred by sin, yes. But even that, even the fall, even the curse of sin has been restrained such that it is not as bad as it could be. In His being, He is an awesome God. In what He has done, He is remarkable. But for us who know Him, He has done even more still. We, like these priests, we have drawn near to Him. We have experienced much in this community. You have seen much of the hand of God. You've seen Him heal. You've seen Him change hearts. You've seen Him draw people to faith, keep people from error. There is much from this God, who He is and what He has done, it is right and proper that He be honored. It would be sin in Him, just like it is in us. It would be sin in Him if He did not defend His honor. He must and He will, because it is right. But also, also because it is so good. Think about this. What is it that gives life to the soul? It is not ultimately, it is not ultimately anything here. It isn't. Every good thing that we taste and see in this world is given by Him graciously in His goodness, to point us back to Him that we would taste and see Him. He's the one for whom you were made. And in goodness to His people, He will not let Himself be set on the back shelf. But He's bringing Himself forward always to center Himself in our vision for our good. Because He is what sustains this in here. He's what you're longing for. To honor Him, to hold Him up before our eyes and give Him all of our allegiance and all of our obedience, coming out of a genuine affection in our hearts, is life to us. A Godward life is a blessing for our souls. Because it is right and because it is good, God is highly concerned to secure His honor among us. For us and for others. Think of Him, perhaps, like a lamp in a lighthouse. If you don't know lighthouses, think of a flashlight. A a bulb and a flashlight, many of them work the same way, but lighthouses are best here, I think. There's a central lamp that, that lights up, that burns, 
And then around that there are mirrors strategically situated to magnify the light and then it shines out through the glass far out to sea. God as the lamp means to be in the center magnified and shown. But if the mirrors are all painted over black and the windows are smudged up and filthy, the lamp burns just the same, but the light doesn't shine. And God wants to shine for His own honor's sake and for our good, and so He is highly concerned to clean off the black paint and the dirt. He will. In this passage, he's concerned with priests because the priest uniquely stands in a spot. He's a a special mirror, if you want to keep the analogy. The priest stands between God and people and has a unique role to to honor God and therefore influence others to honor Him as well. So God is concerned and will address priests. We're going to talk about a priest in just a moment. But I first need to to stop there before we move on to the priest and, and put a question to all of us. Maybe we should stop and consider as a mirror or perhaps as a window, are you blackened over and smudged? Are you dishonoring God? In some way, now, work through your life. Is there some way in which the honor of God, the first placedness of God, is not true in your life. But something else is in first, and you're dishonoring him. Maybe another person, or maybe a job, it may be some good thing, it may be a hobby. Is God second or fifth? Consider it. Maybe you need to repent of something this morning. I say that to all of us, but I have to say a particular word to men and boys, because as I think about priests and the unique spot that they stand in, the unique ability they have to influence others to honor by their honoring, men and boys come to mind for me. That word, honor, is a big word in the masculine character. It's not a word that you hear bounced around in a lot of scrapbook inventions. You don't hear it at many quilting bees. However, it's painted on a whole bunch of football locker room walls. And it's talked about on every battlefield. There's something in men that resonates with this. And it is worth noting that when God speaks to men and women about how to build their marriages, and He boils it down to a single word, wives do what? Husbands love your wives. Wives love your husbands? No. Respect. Honor them. Men, boys, There is something God designed and right 
in us, running through our veins, that is different than for the, the sisters here. And, and of course, I'm just saying, all need to consider the honor question, but there's something different in men and boys on the honor issue. We were made to want it. It's, if you're, if you're, you're 10 years old and you don't yet quite know why there's a special sting in the kid making fun of you in the playground, it's because you were made to want to be honored. That is right. The problem is that we chase that with our own hands, in our own ways, and we function no longer as lighthouses, as mirrors and lighthouses, but as the rocks. And everything gets destroyed on us as we seek to honor ourselves. We want it so badly, we seek to get it. And man, we mess things up, and we have the power to do it. Men, there's something here in, in this statement that should alert you to something. God has made you to seek honor. But if you seek it like this and, and grasp for it with your own hands, what will happen is you're going to be setting the Lord aside and you will find yourself lightly esteemed. But there is a way to be honored. He who honors me, I will honor. Ironically, men, boys, the way that that thing that's in you, that's looking for respect and for honor, the way that gets filled is like this. Humble and prostrate before this king, giving all allegiance and all honor to him. And then he turns and says, well done, good, faithful servant. God will honor. Psalm 84 says that the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. From those who honor Him. You were made to seek it. And others behind you will be influenced by you if you find it in the right way by honoring Him. My plea with men and boys is that you would be God-honoring influencers, God-honoring leaders. You're made for it. There will be a great satisfaction in your heart if you live it. Embrace it. We must honor the Lord, and He is concerned to protect His honor, to secure His honor among us, His people. And He will do that by means of a priest. Here's a second observation. The Lord will raise up a faithful priest with a sure house. The Lord will secure His honor And he will do so by raising up 
a new faithful priest with a sure house, a sure family line after him. Verse 35, after declaring the coming end of Eli's priesthood in Eli's house, the Lord tells us how he's going to fill the void. He says, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest to replace these guys. One who's going to do the very same things, 27 and 28, who will still come into the presence of the Lord, who will still come and bring the sacrifice, who will still come and raise up the pleasing offering, who will still represent the people of God before him, but will do that all the while functioning there as one who cleanses from sin and connects people to God. He will do that, verse 35, while doing all that is in the Lord's heart and mind, while living an upright, holy, pure, God-honoring life. That's the kind of priest that that the Lord's going to raise up. Well, who is it? All along, God's been hinting to us, Samuel. Samuel's the foil throughout this whole thing. He's the one set up alongside all the bad stuff about these guys, and there's Samuel. And in a very real way, He is the answer in this time and place. He becomes the spiritual leader that lives a God-honoring life and influences all the people to move towards him. Leads a great renewal among Israel. So he's the answer, sort of, but not quite. As we keep reading, we realize that Samuel never serves as high priest. And in fact, he can't. He's not of the right family line. He's not a son of Aaron. God's using him as a model, as a a type, to show us what the high priest should be like, but it's not Samuel. Not exactly. And it's not even exactly what we find in 1 Kings 2.27, when Solomon finally puts Eli's house away and brings in another priest. That family line from that priest, they, they do sit in the office, but they don't have the heart doesn't take long before all of those priests themselves are not much different than Eli's house. In fact, it never happens in the Old Testament. This kind of priest that God's looking for, who will function between God and people to cleanse them and connect them while himself living a holy and pure God-honoring life and a family after him that lives the same way, it never comes in the Old Covenant. Which is why we are left to read in the book of Hebrews about a whole new system, a whole new covenant, where God finally one day does raise up a new faithful high priest. You know who this is. The secret is out long ago. Jesus is the one that God was looking for all along. And never finding him among the people of man, God himself came to be the priest. Jesus. God come in flesh. Who can be this priest? Who can be this priest? None. 
Can this old covenant work to make a priest like that, to make a people? No, I will set up a new covenant with a new priest from a different line, with a different sacrifice, in a different sanctuary. Priests of a different people. All foretold, all new. It's a marvelous thing. God did finally raise up a faithful priest. A priest who is sure and a people and creates a people after him who also are sure and faithful. Who give to God the honor that is right and the honor that is good. God has done a marvelous thing. So let's think about the priesthood of this Jesus. We talked last week about his interceding for us, his, his praying. A couple other aspects of his priesthood. He is the one who comes into the presence of God, to the altar of God, to offer a sacrifice. Why? Because we are a people who have dishonored Him deeply. And remarkably, instead of you being lightly esteemed, the Lord has laid on Him scorn and ridicule and rejection. The men of earth set him aside. God himself rejected him and turned his face away from him in your place. He offered up a sacrifice that is perfect. He himself, the sacrifice. A remarkable thing. Michael Card sings of it so well. Who ever heard of a high priest who would sacrifice himself? No one. So God did it. This priest's sacrifice, a perfect and pure sacrifice, once and for all takes away the sin off of us who trust Him. And you are cleansed. Think of that. Think of it. All your sin, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, trust Christ. If you're a Christian, all your sin cleansed. So you stand before God, though a dishonorer, you stand before God as if wholly honoring Him. In other words, right in His eyes. Now, that's a, that's a nice theological fact. But what that means is that when you walk out and on, on Tuesday morning, you feel guilty about something. Or Thursday afternoon, you feel inadequate. Or Friday, when you sit and you open up a bill. And what rushes on you is, I can't pay it. And fear follows on that. Because I'm alone in the world without the money to meet these, meet these demands. What do I do? In all those situations, the cleansing sacrifice of Christ means that you are pure and accepted, loved, clean, owned 
and taken care of. Christian, do you ever, and I know the answer is yes, do you ever fear, feel guilty, feel alone, worry about what's going to happen? Yes or no? Of course you do. Remember that God has raised up a great priest on your behalf who has removed every barrier between you and God and has joined you to Him. What have you to fear? What chance is there that He will abandon you? What are the odds that what you're facing now is too big, too much, and will overwhelm him and you? None. There aren't any odds for that. It's not going to happen. Now, I, I know what... I mean, I know what some of you face day to day, and I don't face those things, but I face other things, and I know what it's like to sit there and, and kind of wrestle with this truth versus the, let's say, the bill on the table in front of you. And say, yeah, but, the, but where's the money going to come from? That's great, Steve, but that does not mean there's any more money in the bank account right now. You're right. I don't know where the money's going to come from. What I'm saying is that if you would, for instance, look at Psalm 86. If you would sit there at your kitchen table with, with the bill in front of you, you come to Psalm 86, verse 1, and you cry out, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. The only reason you can do that is because the high priest has poured his blood over you and you are clean. God, incline your ear to me? He will because of Christ's priestly sacrifice for you. I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. In the eyes of Christ, in the eyes of God the Father, because of Christ's sacrifice? Yes. Save your servant, who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. You could go on. The only reason that you can go to a psalm, pray that psalm, and find a God on the other end of it who answers it is because Christ's sacrifice has removed your sin off of you. And you can come into His presence and talk to Him. Which is the second piece of His priestly work. He cleanses and He connects. He brings you into the presence of God.
Consider this. Is it more natural? Does it come easier to compliment or praise something or someone if you have only heard it as good or if you have actually tasted and seen for yourself that it is good? The latter. Is it easier, does it come more natural to give honor to, because we're talking about how God secures his honor, to give honor to, a let's say, a military veteran from your own family or one from the church here, perhaps you know some in the church, easier to give honor to one of them or to General G.K. Warren? Governor Kemble Warren. And if you say, who's that? That's my point. You don't even know who he is. Maybe somebody doesn't. If you do, I'm impressed. One of the heroes of Gettysburg. He might have saved the country. He might have saved the country. But no honor rises in your heart and no honor comes out of your mouth for him because you have no idea who he is. God will secure honor in you for him by the ministry of this Christ who brings you into the presence of God and says, let me introduce you to someone. The whole Old Testament cover, the whole old structure, and if, you've got, if, if you're young and you've got a pencil and paper, maybe draw this out to, to see it with your eyes. The whole structure of the house of God is saying separation. Draw a rectangle, inside of it a rectangle, inside of it a rectangle, and in that rectangle, cut it in half with a big, tall curtain. Can't come, can't come, can't come, can't come. It's, it's speaking of separation because behind the curtain is God. And none of those priests could change that. But the new one, with his new sacrifice, can and did. The book of Hebrews tells us that he has gone in, not into the temple on earth, but he has gone into God's real house, so to speak, in heaven, has gone into the inner place where God dwells, has torn open the curtain, holds it back and says, Come. There's someone I want you to meet. He has brought you into His presence by the ministry of Christ. By this priest's work, the sacrifice that tears apart the curtain has opened it up and he bids you to come, to come in. And in fact, the Bible says that you already are seated there. You're seated here in blue chairs in the gym, but you're also simultaneously seated in that room with the Father. That's remarkable. That's a remarkable fact that you have a foot here and a foot there. And that's only because of what Christ the priest did. He cleansed and it really worked. He connected and it lasts. 
And so there in that place, seated there in the presence of God your Father, you have a sight to behold. If you would look. Look. There was a sight for you to behold. A God who is so good that He made all this possible. It's none of our doing. He made all this possible and has brought you into His presence and so means to communicate to you not just fact about who He is, but relationally communicate Himself to you. Some people say to me, can you be more specific on that? And unfortunately, I cannot. Because it is a relational, supernatural fact. God communicates Himself to you as you sit there over His Word looking at Him. Look, please, for your own good, look. He has... He has done something marvelous in raising up a new priest. He has cleansed you, a people, effectively. He has brought you into His presence permanently. And in that cleansing and in that bringing you into His presence, He changes you so that you know Him so that you experience Him, so that you see Him and taste Him and know Him to be good. And what grows in you is honor. God has done a great thing for you. So you have to. You have. It's right and it's good that you worship Him, that you honor Him. You have to sit down with the, with the bill at the kitchen table opening up Psalm 86 and say, Lord, would you please, please gladden the heart of your servant as you're there amidst the fear. Will you please meet my needs? I have no idea how. But I belong to you. I trust you. It is also simple, and it is, it is none of it easy. He has done a work to secure His honor in you, for you, and out from you, for Him and for others. And He secures that by the ministry of this priest Christ, who cleansed you, and brought you into the presence of God where you live now and can live forever. So give thanks to Him. Trust Him. Seek Him. You will find Him when you seek Him with all of your heart. Let me pray as we move towards communion, remembering what it is that Christ has done.
Father, you have raised up for yourself a new priest. We are familiar with that. It's not new to us. But I ask you, Lord, that you would press onto us something, some new appreciation, perhaps, of an old fact. A new thankfulness for the the removal of guilt. A new appreciation of, of the ability to commune with you. Raise that before our eyes, Lord, and draw out from us thanksgiving and honor and allegiance, respect. It's what we were made to live on, and so, Father, I pray you would do it in us. As we consider the elements that are going to be before us here in a moment, Lord, we're going to have a cup with juice and a little piece of bread. But they are meant to remind us of the sacrifice of your Son, God the Son, who cleansed us from all of our unrighteousness, took away our sin once and for all, made us holy and pure, sure, faithful in your sight, righteous. Lord, thank you. Grow in us each here now in this time thankfulness. Grow in us dependence. Grow in us humble allegiance. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for the cross. Help us to celebrate it now. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.